Well, it's my great joy to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word this morning to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read here in a moment verses uh, 4 through 9 of Genesis chapter 2 and pray for God's blessings as we study his perfect and precious word this morning. And I ask you to stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect and precious word and stand knowing that in the scripture and in the scripture alone, we know the true story of the world. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, for there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we can gather here this morning and worship. Lord, that we can be here together. That we can praise your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, 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 triune God. We thank you that you have poured out your grace on a people and you have summoned us together in the name of Christ, our risen King. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us, that you would transform us, that, that we would never be the same because we have gathered this day in this place together to look to you, to worship you, to serve you, to be on mission for you, to know who you are and what you've done so we can rightly know who we are and what we are to do. Oh, Lord, we pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we've been thinking about and meditating on these first few weeks of the new year, the all things God. We have our key verse for the entire year from, it says, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory. Amen. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. The all things God is the God of all things. And He made a world of things. That's what we want to think about for a few weeks and uh, some other time that we're going to look at and continue this series later in the year. He, he made all kinds of things. We started out talking about all things, and, and now we've got a series on things. You see, there are... Um, uh, listen to Psalm 104, verse 24. I love it in the New English Bible. It says, Countless are the things 
Thou hast made, O Lord. Thou hast made all by Thy wisdom, and the earth is full of Thy creatures. Countless are the things Thou hast made. And they are expressions of His wisdom. All kinds of things. He made rocks and colors and trees and fountains and minerals and mountains and pigs and oceans and slugs and canyons and creeks and bodily fluids and uh, vegetables and slugs and coffee beans. And now we are busily a people who are making things out of the things that God has made in this world. But we often forget And maybe even we don't forget, maybe we just don't, we've never thought about it. That all of these things that our Creator, God, made, are made to point beyond themselves. You see, there is a wrong-headed way of seeing the world that uh, acts like uh, we sort of shrink down the number of things that really matter, the number of things that are about God. Only when we are directly pray, praying or directly sharing our faith or directly in, in worship should we, we think about God. So we just pare it down and we, we kind of view everything else as a waste of time. And, and what does it matter? Uh, and the Bible is calling us to do the exact opposite. It's calling us to look at the world and see a world that we cannot look at without thinking about God. It's calling us to trace all of the things in the created world Back to the Creator. Psalm 24 verse 1 says that uh, He is the one. The earth is the Lord's, it says, and everything in it. It's the Lord's. So the most uh, appropriate thing in the world would be to do what what C.S. Lewis wrote about and and said that when when the sunbeam is on you and you are enjoying it, Enjoy not just that object of goodness, but trace it back to the source of good. How ridiculous it would be if we we thought the sunbeam could somehow be, be detached from the sun. We are to trace it back. If you're like me and one who enjoys the sun, and you fill the sunbeam and think about the sun, and then think about the God who gave the sun. It is an expression of His goodness. And so when I experience warm weather in the sun, I am to tie that back to the goodness of God. But we're to be doing that with countless things in our lives. Things that point beyond themselves. Church Father Augustine said that the things of creation are like a boat. A boat that takes us back to our homeland. A means of transport which we can and should celebrate but never mistake for the destination itself. You see, these things are like a boat that that take us back to to ultimately the one who has given them. And it is a total mistake not to, to, to enjoy them and detach them from the one that has given them. But it is also a total mistake not to enjoy them. God has given us this amazing world and life to enjoy. And He goes through great pains all the way through the Scripture to say that we can enjoy this life 
in the midst of the pain that we experience, the very real pain, the difficulty, the suffering, the, the heartache, and, and the pain is ultimately outweighed by the joy now and forever. So what we want to do in this series as we think about things is to follow the sunbeams back. To, to ride the boat and allow us to take us to our homeland. We want to see what things tell us about the God of all things. And here's what we're going to start with. The thing we're going to start with. Dust. I know you all have been dying for a sermon, sermon on dust. If I could just understand dust, hopefully you'll feel that way after. It's something that you probably have not been longing to think about. It's something that probably causes you to be a little bit irritated. Right? Spend our lives sort of dusting and trying to get it out of here. And I'm allergic to dust. I don't have good feelings about dust. Nor should I. But dust points beyond itself. And the Scripture makes that clear. Look with me with, at Genesis chapter uh, 2, beginning in verse 4, down to the first part of verse 7 we're going to look at here. And we're going to see that dust should remind us of God, who is the ultimate artist. Look with me at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, that, that phrase there, these are the generations, it's a structural device in Genesis. It, it happens ten times, and, and usually it's something like this. The generations of Adam, the generations of Noah, the generations of a person, and it gives us the, the history of those generations. And so we are, here we have the, the generations of the heavens and the earth when they are created. This is the story of the universe, the, the story of the created order, the story of what God did with creation and how it was to unfold. And chapter 1 gives us the Creator in the heavens who in absolute sovereign power simply speaks and the world leaps into existence by the power of His very voice. Genesis 1 is transcendent. Genesis 1 is to give us a sense of awe at the power of God who can, who can bara, the, the Hebrew word for create, create out of nothing. None of us can ever bara. Only God can. But He can speak in what was not, now is. And then chapter 2 also tells us the creation account. But, but chapter 2 begins to narrow the focus in fact, you see it here in this verse, it, 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 is, uh, it, it is talked about it in terms of the heavens and the earth like it does first here in verse 4 of Genesis 2. But at the end of uh, verse 4 in Genesis 2, he reverses it. It says, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Earth is placed first. The, the transcendent God who speaks by the word of His power has spoken spoken this world into existence, this world. And ultimately, he's going to get to a garden with a unique people that are different from all the created order who are in that garden. This is a narrowing, a, a more personal account, a, an account of humanity. We also see it in the names used for God. In, in Genesis 1, the, the name for God is, 
is always Elohim, the Almighty. He is the Almighty Creator in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, we still get Elohim, but before it, we get most of your Bibles, Lord with all capitals. That is Yahweh. Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh, the great covenant name for God. The, the personal name of a God who makes a covenant with a people. The, the covenant God, the, the God who, who decides to pour His steadfast love on a people. The covenant God who is the sovereign, almighty Creator. Genesis 2 gets a picture of the personal nature of this God that drives us to our knees because of His transcendent power. You see, already in Genesis 2, we get a sense of what the Bible teaches us. And that is, should you fear God? You better believe that He's God. His power causes you to tremble. And if it doesn't, you don't really understand it. He is holy, holy, holy. But, He is a God who has chosen to be for a people. And it's the very thing that causes you to tremble at the reality of who He is that allows you to rise up with hope. Because the God that is above all, the God to whom everything else will give an account, has declared Himself to be the covenant God of a people. We get that sense here. And, and so this God comes to us. The Creator, Cosmic God, is the God who comes to us in unique ways. And in fact, it, it tells us here in chapter 2, verse 7, that He comes to us as an artist. In verse 8 of chapter 2, a gardener. Now, think about it. These images applied to the God of chapter 1. In Genesis 2, 21 and 22, he's a sculptor. Chapter 3, verse 8, he's a God who walks in the garden. In chapter 3, verses 9 through 19, he is the judge. But notice the personal nature of the language after we acknowledge him as Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. He is a God who is determined. to be in covenant with the people. Look at verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God, there it is again, Yahweh Elohim, had not caused it to rain on the land. Here it is. Here's the main point of this, this picture of creation at that time. And there was no man to work the ground. The, the word work means to, to serve, to cultivate. Uh, this is a man who we see in chapter 1 is given dominion to, to rule the world under the authority of God. There was no man to, to work the ground. And in verse 6 it says, And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. There was the only moisture. There, there was no rain. In all of this creative work, we see God's artistic work. He's being described. In fact, it, it is explaining to us the scene just before the high point of His created work. Just before the high point of His, His artistic work. And that is the creation 
of His image bearers. But He had created for them a a garden kingdom, a world in which they are to serve Him and to, to rule that world under His authority. It is to be ruled, served, and cultivated by His image bearers that He talked about in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And then we get to verse 7. Look with me there. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. Then Yahweh Elohim. He formed. The, the word means fashioned. Uh, uh, it, it, it means, uh, it's a word that's used for the potter and the clay. For instance, it's used in Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are the work of your hand. You have formed us. You are the potter. We are the clay. That's the word used here. And it says here, he, he formed, he fashioned. It, it could be translated, it's sculpted. Uh, one of the Hebrew lexicons says, it is the term for an artist's work. No matter what kind of artist it is, no matter whether it's a sculptor, no matter whether it's a painter, this is a term for the the artist's work. He is forming something. We see here that man is not created bara, out of nothing. But rather, man is formed from the stuff of this earth. Humanity is tied to this created order. And you think, well, well, if God's going to create man in His own image, I wonder what He's going to use to fashion it out of all of the things of the world. Gold? Silver? And God says, dust. Dust. He speaks of creating man out of dust, not only here, but in Job 4.19, Psalm 103, verse 14, Psalm one. 04 verse 29, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, just to account a few of the places. But there's also something else here. He says, form the man of dust from the ground. Man is the Hebrew word Adam, Adam. Ground is the Hebrew word Adama. We were saying in our southern, Adama. Right? It's, it's a play on words. He is so much trying to get us to understand here that, that we were created from the ground. And not just the ground, but, but the dust of the ground. Man cannot be totally separated from the created order. It is a material world, and, and we are material beings. He, he's going to create us. He's going to form us, fashion us. He sculpted us from the dust of the ground. In, in Scripture, there's really only one neutral reference for dust. Uh, it, at times when it talks about a, a lot of people, it'll use dust as an image. You know how, how dust, there's dust everywhere. It's used in that way. But, but here are the other ways it's used. It's a metaphor for death, the grave, and something really insignificant. To return to the dust is to die, Genesis 3.19. Dust On the head is a sign of mourning, defeat, and shame. To throw dust at someone is a sign of contempt toward them. And to dust off your feet as an area is to mark that area as unclean. An encyclopedia says, Dust refers to fine particles of solid matter that are dispersed in the air. These particles can vary in size, composition, and origin. Common sources of dust include soil, pollen, skin cells, 
textile fibers, minerals, and other materials. It can also contain a mixture of organic and inorganic materials, such as dead skin cells, pet dander, mold spores, and particles from various household activities. Just gives you all the warm fuzzies about being made out of dust, doesn't it? But here's what amazing is that what symbolizes decomposition, death, and decay is what God uses here in the very beginning to create life. But if you understand what God is doing with this image, that makes perfect sense. That God forms man out of something that has no life. And He gives it life. I mean, what an artist. What, what an amazing work when you think about all the tools to, to form or fashion something. Dust would be impossible to form or fashion into anything but a pile. But yet, this is the very thing that God uses. That which obviously has no life. That which is, is the very symbol of death to bring about life. Life from death. Yes, that was what God was doing from the very beginning. And this life from death being is one who can be called created in the image of God, able to reflect God in a way that none of the rest of the created order could. You see, God is the ultimate artist. Ephesians 1.10 says, For we are His workmanship. We are His creation. We, we are His artwork. We, we are the work of God on display. God is the ultimate artist. Oh, you can see it all around. You, you understand it when, you, when you're standing at the Grand Canyon. You understand it when you see a beautiful scene. You understand it when you see, see magnificent uh, animals. You even understand it when you see the things that we make because we can only make out of what God has made. God is this incredible artist. But one of the things you need to start seeing is when you look in the mirror, you see God's incredible work of art. You do. So maybe let's repent of just complaining about what we see in the mirror. May we remind ourselves that our very existence is a testimony to God as the ultimate artist. Man is the crowning point of creation. We, we are not just simply to say, oh, look at what he created in the, in, in the world in terms of mountains and trees. And wow, look, at, no, man is the high point of it all. Secondly, Verse 7, dust should remind us that we are nothing without God. Nothing. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. You see, knowing that we are from the ground should keep us grounded. How can there be a prideful people who are created from dust? You see, there's always to be a check in our spirit whenever you think too much of yourself to understand that without God, you are nothing. Without God, you don't exist. 
It doesn't matter whether you recognize that fact or not. That is reality. And when you use the things of the world, including yourself, to ignore God and to reject Him and to serve yourself, you're doing that in rebellion to God and you're accountable to the Creator God. Without Him, we are nothing. He has given us life. He is the one to whom we are accountable. We indeed are dust people. We are, it sounds like you're kind of an old Martian show, but we are earthlings. That's a really good way to put it. We are earthlings because we are made of earth. We're to understand that. We're to remember that. We're to remember that promise that we see in Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. That, that, that a fallen people, Hebrews 9.27, is appointed for man to die once and after comes the judgment. The reality that we are a people of dust is a reminder of the reality of death. To dust we came and to dust we shall return. But that's not the end of the story. You see, it says here that he breathed into the nostrils. Now, think about the rest of the creation account. God spoke. Boom! There it is. He spoke again. Boom! There it is. But now the telling of the story changes. And it says here, he breathed into his nostrils. The presence of God. God hovering over the man that he is making. God is there personally. The creator God. The transcendent God. He is there personally. This, this picture of this hovering reminds us back to, to Genesis 1-2. Where he is hovering over and then he says, let there be light. This man is to be uniquely the light bearer for God in the world. God is there personally. The transcendent God. The God who can speak and, and things leap into existence. He is face to what will become face with man that he is creating, there's an intimacy here, a, a fashioning that is personal here, that is not spoken of in anything else in the created order. And he gives his breath, and he makes man. And what is man? Man is the, 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 the dust that has, has become a, a, a body, a living soul. And don't separate those two. For it's not that the material body is just unnecessary, you just throw some soul into it and all of a sudden, boom. No, it's the whole thing. That is man, body and soul. It is what he has uniquely created and it says he became a living creature, our living soul. Now it speaks that way also of the animals, but there is clearly in the way the story is told here something unique about this man that separates it from all of the rest of the created order. The blowing into the nostrils, the personally being there, the making man, the, the fashioning not by the, the voice and there it is, but the fashioning, it seems, with to, to speak of God with hands, with His very hands and with His very breath. So dust fashioned plus God's breath equals man and what the only thing in the created order that is created in God's image. The only thing in the created order that can reflect God in a way that can actually 
be a mirror in some ways. Well, it's just a mirror. A mirror doesn't show you reality, it shows you reflection. Human beings are created to reflect God in a way that nothing else can. One of the other uniquenesses is when he creates man in chapter 1 in Genesis 1.31. He had created and said it was good and created and said it was good and created and said it was good and created and said it was good, created and said it was good, and then he created man in his own image and said it is very good. Do you see the way these two things come together? Dust. Made out of the ground. (laughs) There's no room for pride. Only humility. But He has chosen with His very breath to make this man distinct from all the rest of the created order. It's what He has done. He has fashioned. He has given breath. He created man, and then he created woman out of man. And this is so incredible that what was formerly dust can be described in Psalm 8:5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So which is it? Is man crowned with glory and honor above all the rest of created order? Or is man dust and, and created from the ground that ought, ought to be humble? Yes. Yes. You are this. You're only this because of God. We're not even talking about salvation here. We're just talking about the fact that you have life and breath. You are a living being because of God. That's why you can only make sense of your life and order it rightly in light of God. That's why the beginning of all wisdom and understanding is the fear of the Lord. Acknowledge Him for who He is. Recognizing as a created being that there is a Creator. And when you and I see dust, you should say, that is me without God. And then you say, but look at His handiwork. Look at what the ultimate artist can do. But there's something else. Dust should remind us of resurrection power. Dust and resurrection? What in the world could those two things have to do with each other? Look with me, beginning of verse 7 again. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. You remember Genesis 3, 5 that I read earlier? There was no man to work the ground. There was no man to work the garden. Now he has created a man to work the garden. He planted a garden and he put the man in it whom he had formed, who he had fashioned, whom he gave his spirit, a life-giving spirit, who he animated with his breath. And now he has put them in the garden to to serve him, to, to cultivate it to worship Him, to rule the world under His authority. And He's going to give Him a woman and they are to be fruitful and multiply. This is what is to be done. The world is to be enjoyed to the glory of God under His authority. This, is God, this garden is God's provision. It's an opportunity for man to serve and to, to worship the God who has given what only He can give. It, it is a kingdom of sorts, a, a garden kingdom of God for His people. Then we get to verse 9. 
And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, and there's a textual clue that reminds you that this gift, this provision of God is about to be corrupted. Oh, you can have all of the garden, God says, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the voice comes in and says, has God really said? And then simply says, he's holding out on you, holding out on you. Look, look. And yet the temptation is successful and there is the fall into sin. So dust to dust. Dust you were given life and to dust you are return the reality of death. And here's what I want you to see. We are not to understand this just in those terms. Because not only does dust point beyond itself, so does breath. You see, when God animated with His breath, when by the work of the Spirit, there is a life-giving soul imparted in this human body. When God does that, It's pointing to something else that God will do. You see, not only is God's plan for there to be life, but God's plan is for there to be eternal life. And that life would be found in His Son. So we find Jesus saying this to His disciples after the crucifixion and resurrection in John 20, 22. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He he still bore the marks of the crucifixion. Look, look, he says, at the, the marks. Look at my hands. Look at my side. God the Son who was crucified for a people, but is now alive. And then it says this, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, this this transitional point in the telling of the story where we are reminded that the new covenant blessing of the outpouring of the Spirit, which we'll see in Acts 1.8, is what God brings. And all of His people who believe in Him will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is a a, a pointing back to that life-giving Spirit that that breathed into the nostrils. And and there is this man. But this man who, who, who needs not only life, but eternal life. But there is a God at work in the world. And and He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The breath of God not only makes life, but eternal life. Think back, you heard... Daniel 12, 2, read earlier in the service. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Oh, there is a resurrection. There is eternal life. God is still at work in the world, breathing life. into sinners, awakening them from spiritual death to spiritual life. He's still at work in the world, 
fitting of people for eternity with Him. Oh, the, the warning that we are but dust people is very real. That we have no hope apart from the life He gave us in the beginning, and we have no ability to give ourselves eternal life either. But God is at work in the world by His grace, saving sinners. It's so powerful that in 1 Corinthians 15, the longest chapter on the Bible about the resurrection of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he, he talks about dust. And he talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. Uh, beginning, uh, before I read this, the section at, toward the end of the chapter, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, he says, Death came by one man, and by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. So, so he's already painting the picture that, that this man who was given life because of sin faces the reality of death apart from God. But there is another man. There is another Adam who has come. And though this man gave death, this man gives life by the resurrection of the dead. And so there are those who were animated with life by nothing but the sovereign power of God, and yet who are headed for eternal destruction apart from God, who are awakened by the grace of God. This man, Christ Jesus, this last Adam who came, this one who conquered death in the grave, this one by whom we have the, the Holy Spirit indwelling us as we are united by faith to Him. But this is the way He works it out in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45-49. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven." Don't, don't get lost in all of that. It is just simply saying that God, who by nothing but His mercy gave life in the very beginning, and yet the very ones He gave life rebelled against Him, that He is the same one who sent another man, God the Son, to save a people out of that fallen humanity a people to be with him forever and ever and for eternity you will either be identified with adam the man of dust or with jesus the man of heaven the man of heaven who took on flesh the man who heaven who came to be with us all of that imagery that we see the personal nature of god 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 breathing the transcendent God acting in this way prepares us for a transcendent God with the power to speak the universe into existence who comes to us who's the incarnate one fully God and fully man here's the testimony all of the dust in Christ will rise 
All of the dust in Christ will rise. From dust to dust. You see, there are those who receive the breath of life. If you are alive, you are a product of the fact that God breathed the breath of life and created a living being, a living soul, a living creature. But there are also those who have the breath of eternal life, who've been awakened. Who, who, who bear the mark of the image of God, not just in the broadest sense, but who bear the mark of the image of the man from heaven, Jesus Christ, who are to represent Him on earth and to be with Him forever. And He is calling those people to a resurrection, to a new heavens and a new earth. And that will be outside of the very presence of sin. And there will be no more death and no more decay And therefore, there will be no more dust. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for the opportunity to open Your perfect and precious Word this morning. Lord, I thank You that that You prompt us to, to think about and to see the wonder of who You are if we'll just give our hearts and minds to it in all kinds of things. And Lord, I do pray this morning very specifically that we would, we would see dust and we would be reminded that you are the ultimate artist and that we are nothing without you. But Lord, may that very dust that we see remind us of resurrection power, that there's not only a people of the man of dust, that there is a people of the man of heaven. And Lord, may we be reminded that there will be one day when there will be no more dust for those who are in Christ. Oh Lord, help us to respond to the truth of Your Word. Thank You for this thing that points us to You. And Lord, we pray it in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.